0: And there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This is God's word.
1: Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you for every... Person who's joined us this evening, um, I pray that you would allow this message to be the blessing that you would require it and desire for it to be for each of us, that you would open our hearts and our ears and our minds to, uh, to your word. And I pray that through this message, it may be I that would decrease and you that would increase, that it would uh, comfort people who are in need of comfort and that it would show your goodness and grace to, uh, to all who are longing for that. And, uh, and that it would tie into this idea of work. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I will be honest. I, I had this, uh, this pretty, pretty solid 7 out of 10 intro written out that I was ready to go into where I was going to talk about the difference of, like, you know, rise and grind culture when it comes to work and and then the people who are kind of becoming anti-work. And I had this really fleshed out, like, ooh, jumpy, ooh, it's a great hook. But as I thought about it, I was like, you know what? Like, I think I would rather just speak a little bit more directly because I'll say, I feel like, and maybe it's just the season of life that many of us in this room are in, but work is a constant conversation. It is a constant conversation, and not in a negative way. I think there's a lot of questions that we often run into when we deal with this idea of work. I think that many of us are feeling uh, a deep discontentment that we're not quite sure where to like direct that. I think that we're dealing with questions of, like, what does it mean for work to be fulfilling? How much should I chase a job because it's fulfilling? Where does money come in? Like, I think there's a lot of wrestling that many of us are gonna, are, are doing around this topic. So rather than having this, like, fancy intro with, with hooks and grabs and whatever, I just want to say, I think this topic is very important. And I think this topic is very relevant for a lot of people here. So I really want to invite you into this. I want to invite you into this because I, I think that uh, my hope is that there's, there's a lot here that hopefully would speak to you guys. And as I often say, uh, and it's definitely true this time, if there's something that I say that you know, affects you, maybe makes a little exclamation point pop up over your head during the message. I'd love to talk about it. I'd love to help process it with you, whether that looks like dinner after this, whether it looks like a coffee this week, I would be happy to. That's always the case, but especially for a topic like this, it is true. So that's where we'll start. So the simple matter of the fact is, and and I'll say this, uh, work is, I mean, work's like a physics term, so we could define work in a lot of different ways. I chose to define work for this specific message as what we do to make a living for ourselves. Because if you uh, rake the pine needles in your, in your front lawn, you're probably not making a living off of that, but that is work. But that's not what I'm talking about here. So we're gonna, we're gonna restrict the definition of what work is to what you do to make a living. Now, I also wanna recognize the, the little asterisk over that, which is that not all work looks like having a traditional job. If you are staying at home and taking care of your family and just committed to the household and that's what you do with the majority of your time, That is no less a calling and vocation that God has placed on you. And that doesn't mean that because you're not clocking in and clocking out every day that there's any less value to it. So you should definitely see that as a place where God is smiling over your vocation. There are also those who are in difficult situations where maybe a disability or just extreme life circumstances are restricting their ability to work. And I think that needs to be acknowledged as well. And I also want to say that none of what I'm here to say this evening is meant to shame those who are uh, currently in between jobs or struggling with unemployment or looking for a job. None of this is to say, you know, anything cruel to this season of life that you're in. I've been struggling with uh, unemployment in seasons of my past, and it's, it's the worst. So... Uh, Lots of empathy there. This is not meant to shame whatsoever. Now, the idea of work is very biblical, and we will, of course, get to that. In the Bible, we see people with jobs. We see people who work the land, whether they're shepherds or farmers, We see people who work in government, whether they're advisors or whether they work in in tax as a tax collector. We see people who work with their hands. Jesus himself famously was a carpenter. Paul, uh, the apostle of the New Testament, famously was a tent maker. Now, as we know, about 2,000 years have passed between the last book of the Bible and now, and society looks really, really different. There were no social media managers in biblical times. I don't think that makes it an unbiblical job. It just means that the world that we're in looks pretty different these days. And even in the small church that we have, we have professional musicians, we have mechanics, teachers, business owners, engineers, designers, florists, baristas, writers, the list truly goes on. So I have a handful of points that I wanna make about work today. And that's what we'll do. My first point is this. Work is good, parentheses, but it also became kind of lousy. Work is good, but it also got kind of lousy. Now, I'll be honest, when I was younger, As a a kid, and I used to think about this picture of whether it was heaven or whether it was the new heavens and earth, whatever my destination was after this life was over, I kind of imagined it as 24/7 downtime. Like I just remember how excited I was to like, like when you're on winter break at school and you're like in, in seventh grade and you're just like, I can't wait. I'm just gonna spend like 10 hours a day playing all the video games I got for Christmas. Like, that sounds pretty appealing. But I think that what what dawned on me, which was at first discouraging, but eventually became a little bit more encouraging, is that work is good. And we see that as an example here in the passage that Nathan read. Before the, the other shoe fell, before the stuff hit the fan, before the great fall and sin came over creation, God had given tasks. To Adam, God had given him work. And what was that work? It was the work to to take care of this world that he had created and to develop it. In many ways, the work that Adam and that humanity was given was work that would reflect the nature of God himself. We were given work that was meant to be creative and impactful and helpful We were given work that was meant to be satisfactory, that actually would give us a strong sense of fulfillment and work that would provide for our needs. This was work at its finest in this time in history. And even today, even as we know that work isn't how it used to be, there there are glimpses of work being really good. You know that feeling when you've exerted yourself with a really difficult task and you completed it and you just feel like really good. That is, a sh- that is a show that work is a valuable thing. Or, or when you like challenge yourself with a project that you didn't think that you could do, but you, were, you surprised yourself and you were able to get it done. Or just being able to do something creatively and say, man, I did that and I didn't just do it. I put a, I put a creative spin on it that only someone like me could do. Like, there are so many ways in which we can still experience the God giving beauty of work. Because that's what work was meant to be. Honestly, work was meant to be life giving because it was given to us by the literal giver of life. And so we can trust in that. You know, Dorothy Sayers has this quote where she says that work is the gracious expression of creative energy in service of others. I'm going to say that again because it's worth saying twice. Work is the gracious expression of creative energy in service of others. This is what work was meant to be. You got to think if, if the whole sin narrative never happens and you've got Adam and Eve who are just two naked people walking around in a garden, eventually they're going to think, you know, I don't really want to walk on the ground anymore. Let's Can we put some shoes together? Yeah, let's make some shoes. Yeah, you know, hey, we're just eating this stuff on the ground. What if we, uh, you know, these apples are good, but what if we, like, roast them over a fire? Like, all of a sudden, the world starts developing and, and, and it becomes more creative and more full. Like, that's what it was supposed to be, work that was creative, work that was impactful, work that reflected the God that we serve. But as we all know, Things didn't stay in that place, and the fall happened. Humans became more focused on themselves than on God and the world that we were given, and now selfishness has crept into the entire world around us. And we can witness it, because through that, work which was supposed to be good, not just to be done, but for us to experience, became lousy. And we can experience it. We can see uh, to this day, people are getting overworked, stressed out, burned out, hating their jobs, getting, not getting enough money to actually take care of themselves or provide for their families. We have large corporate entities that are looking at people not as image bearers of the living God, but as cogs in a machine just to produce a bottom line. We see employers who can be manipulative and abusive to their staff, and oftentimes with little justice or repercussions. Sometimes work is often setting things like capital gain or success ahead of the thriving and flourishing and well-being of people, and industries are the same. We have, we have entire like salesman teams that are taught ways of how to pressure people to not actually think about if what they need is good. But just to spend that money so they can get commission. There's a place in town, I won't say its name because, you know, I I don't feel like that would be appropriate. But it's my least favorite place to go in the universe because when I go there, I can tell that a salesman looks at me and they just have dollar signs like in their eyes, like an old cartoon character and I just know like they're gonna be as nice as can be, and they're gonna butter me up, and they're gonna try to oversell me on every possible thing because they just want the commission money. They don't think, what does this guy actually need? What is really gonna fit what this person wants, his budget, X, Y, and Z. Even in the world of like, how we make things, it's commonplace in the world of manufacturing for things to not be made well but to be made intentionally lousy so the consumer will have to buy more of them once the first ones kinda just sputter out. The idea of integrity and making things with excellence and with value, to make things that honor and and consider the value and and, uh, image-bearerness of humanity is gone. Things like the bottom line are often first and foremost. And that's just in America. I mean, if you cross over an ocean and see the working conditions in another country, it's even worse. You've got people working in extremely hard labor under extremely dangerous conditions for minimal pay. You've got things like sweatshops, slave labor, all these kinds of things. Work was supposed to be good, and it's not. And we feel it. And honestly, if some of you guys are thinking about the job that you have to go to tomorrow, that you desperately don't want to go to, then you feel it too. But at the core of it, work is still a valuable thing that does fit into the framework of what it means to be a Christian. It is a good thing to work. If you remember our dive into 2 Thessalonians earlier this year, You remember that Paul was talking to the Christians who had basically decided they didn't want to work because Jesus was going to come back soon. And Lord forbid they'd be stocking shelves at Walmart when Jesus comes sailing back to earth. So they were just like, I'm just going to sit here and let the church provide for me. And and, and Paul said, no, you guys need to take care of yourselves, please. When we look through the Proverbs, which are all over the place, you see constantly this idea of the person who works should receive what they work for. The person who doesn't work should not receive it. So working itself is good. It still serves a practical purpose. But that doesn't mean that it's easy, and that doesn't mean that we're not moving into a system that is deeply affected by sin when we work. So now that we've established that work is inherently a good thing, although it's been affected by not good things, how are we as Christians to approach our jobs? We're gonna do something that we've done quite a bit in this series. We're gonna zoom out to kind of see a bigger picture here. You know, we've established that work was meant to be creative, restorative, fulfilling, enjoyable, all those things, but sin made it lousy. Now, that's the picture that Jesus inherits when he comes to earth. And I've used this analogy a couple times that when Jesus came to earth, he's kind of like kicking the door down. And he's saying, this is my house, it's been ruined, but I'm going to bring it back into the condition that I want it to be. I'm going to fix it, I'm going to heal it, I'm going to restore it. And so we believe that when Jesus came the first time, He came to teach and he came to heal and he came to share the good news and then he paid for the sins of the world by dying on a cross and then conquered death by resurrecting. And we also believe that when Jesus comes back, he will finally complete the promise of God, which comes from the book of Isaiah, which is that he will make all things new. So work was good, work became lousy, Jesus came, died, came back, and promised that when he comes back again, he's going to fix everything that's rotten, including this smelly work system that the world currently has. Now you're thinking, John, I work at AutoZone. What what does that have to do with, with me working at AutoZone? So Ray said last week, when he talked about reconciliation, that if we're Christians, if we're believers in Jesus, then 2 Corinthians would say that we are ambassadors of Jesus and we're ministers of reconciliation, which is really just a fancy way of saying that Christians are called to do the good work of God. Christians are called to do the good work of God. And so if we're Jesus's ambassadors and if we're ministers of reconciliation, we should be Called to bring about the same kind of healing that Jesus is going to bring when he comes back and says all things are new. So let's just put it this way, to put it in as simplest terms as possible. God has created the world. Sin is uncreating the world. Now God is recreating the world, and he's inviting his people to join in that process. So when we look at our jobs a thing that we'll inevitably put hundreds uh, of thousands of hours into in the duration of our lives, we should ask ourselves this key question. Does my job reflect the creative, restorative, God-honoring work that Jesus is going to finish when he comes back? Or even simpler, is my job good for the world around me? Is my job good for the world around me? Now, this could be an easy catapult for people to say, "All right, uh, I work at Amazon. Uh, I don't want to work at Amazon anymore. I'm going to go. I'm going to serve inner-city children. I'm going to uh, build an orphanage. I need to do something that's more creative, that's more restorative. I need to do all those things." And I don't. I want to like pump the brakes before we immediately jump to something like that. Like I'd say. Just look around in the church that we're, that we're in right now, right? RAC went out a couple months ago. We needed someone who was an HVAC specialist to fix our RAC. Shout out to Danielle's dad for hooking us up. So we, at that point in time, we didn't need someone who was a, who was a, a social worker in, in, in orphanages or, or someone who joined the Peace Corps. We just needed someone to fix the AC, The church they're in right now, like you guys, many of you guys remember like the process of like building this church from what we had inherited it to be. What did we need? We needed handymen. We needed carpenters. We needed people who knew how to install AC. We needed electricians. Like we needed upholsterers to make the chairs that we're all sitting on right now. Our jobs don't need to be these like superhero jobs where we're soaring through and defending the poor at every step. Honestly, we just need to be doing something that is good. And AC, as we all know, is great. Sitting in a chair is great. Having clothes, having light, having food, these things are good. They serve the general well-being of living. And that's what work is supposed to be. So you don't have to be a superhero to be a Christian who is working. And that should be encouraging for us. Tim Keller said, and I'm probably butchering this quote, but he said essentially that work is however we turn raw material into order that serves others. And so that raw material doesn't need to be, you don't have to be a blacksmith. Raw material could be ideas that you condense into being a writer. Raw material could be lessons that you teach as an educator. Like, these are all, it's all about taking a world that is in disorder and disarray and then using it to help other people. That's all that work needs to be. And so now, if this is true, that God desires for us to work in a way that connects us with his process of healing the world. And we recognize that sin has made all of the world lousy in all kinds of ways. And that leads us to this conclusion. Work is not neutral. Work is not neutral. Now, we i could I could get into this for a very, very long time that would spin us out in a thousand different directions, but we we all should recognize that this Pursuit of this kind of American dream philosophy of like I'm gonna I'm gonna get good grades in high school I'm gonna go to a good college I'm gonna get a six figure job I'm gonna buy a really nice house I'm gonna you know retire at the age of 55 at the latest and then I'm gonna move to Cancun and chill on the beach for the rest of my life like we should recognize a lot of the ambitions that we see around us that focus on work are extraordinarily self-centered. They're, around, they're, they're often built around how can we live a life of comfort and ease and, and enjoyment. And that's not to say that God won't give us comfort or ease or enjoyment, but to put that above anything else is literally the definition of idolatry. And I think I worry that as Christians, we're not really taught to challenge that idea. We just kind of believe that as long as what we're doing offers me a comfortable livelihood, as long as it makes me feel fulfilled, as long as it's something that I enjoy, then it's fine. Work is neutral. And the thing is, we know that work isn't neutral. We know that. Because if you met someone who, who said, Hi, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus, and then you said, Oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a, I'm a hitman. You know, I kill people for money. You're like, Follower of Jesus, professional hitman. Okay, interesting. Or if they said, oh, yeah, I, I own this really, really profitable sweatshop in, in Cambodia. They make a ton of Nikes. Like, it's crazy. It's, oh, okay, that's a little, little weird. All right, so you're a Jesus follower. Uh, you pay people five cents a day to make a bunch of stuff they sell for ludicrous prices. All right, it's so a little weird, a little weird. Oh, yeah, yeah, I follow Jesus, but, uh, but I'm an actor in uh, pornographic films. Oh, okay, interesting, okay. So we, we know that. We know that because a person that kills for money is fueling violence and conflict and crime. We know that uh, a sweatshop owner is exploiting a system of poverty and minimal pay. We know that an actor in pornographic films is contributing to an industry that exploits the human body in its most intimate form and feeds addictions that kill all forms of love and intimacy. We know those things. We know that work isn't neutral. So again, the question we need to be asking ourselves is, does my work reflect the redemptive work of Jesus, which is to help others and to make him known? So we have to recognize that there are jobs that are more harmful to the human condition than they are helpful. And the complicated thing is, it's not always cut and dry. People love talking about used car salesmen. I'll say this, on the record, There's nothing wrong with being a used car salesman. There's not. If you are an honest dude, or any any gender, if you're an honest salesman, yeah, you know, trying to be fair and use integrity in how you sell your merchandise, then there's nothing wrong with it. But the stereotype about used car salesmen isn't that they're, you know, fair and honest, It's that they sell lemons, they sell junk, and they try to maximize their profit and they couldn't give a rip who buys it as long as they're giving them the price they're looking for. So there's nothing wrong with being a used car salesman. There is something wrong with exploiting and manipulating the people that you're working with. So the complicated thing is, where do we draw the line? So I'm gonna ask you guys a few questions and I'm not gonna offer answers for them either. Is it a bad thing for a Christian to be a bartender? at a bar that really, really encourages drinking to unhealthy levels? Is it bad for a Christian to work somewhere that charges deceptively high interest rates? Is it bad for a Christian to be an actor or an actress where they take roles where they're very vulgar or where they're living sinful lifestyles in these roles? These are complicated questions. With complicated answers. And, and here's the thing. I'm going to assume that you guys know your occupations a lot better than I do. I'm going to assume you guys know the ins and outs of the jobs that we have better than I do. But I think that we have to anchor ourselves on this question of does my work reflect the redemptive work of Jesus? The work that Jesus is going to finish when he comes back. So maybe you've recognized that there are problematic things about the job that you have, but you also recognize maybe you have the influence to shift that culture, and you have the the ambition and the desire to do so. That's amazing. Or maybe, maybe you yourself are a manager or a business owner or have some kind of influence, and you've realized, ah, oh, shoot, I've actually let some things fly that might be industry standards but are still super not okay, and I need to correct those things. I think that's great, too. And I think a question can come up where it's like, well, I work in this job that's kind of rotten, but I also have a bunch of uh, coworkers who I really love and care for, and, and maybe I need to be here. I think there's a lot of questions you have to ask to challenge yourself, and honestly, I think these types of questions should be worked out in the context of community, I honestly don't want to influence anybody to make snap decisions that they don't actually take the time to consider. That's why I really wanted to be honest about like, hey, if you want to talk about this with someone else, I encourage you to do so. If you have people that you trust where you're like, shoot, I work this job and I think I might be harming the human condition more than helping it, then, then talk about it. Get some good godly advice about it. It's helpful. Here's a few questions I think you can ask just to to kind of examine your own heart. Do you feel a disconnect between your Sunday worship and your Monday through Friday job? Are you providing a net positive to the broken world around us? Here's another one. Does my job compel me to see people as image bearers of God or as means to an end? Whether it's a, a social end, a financial end, or otherwise you know i'll share i'll share a couple of personal stories where i where i kind of struggled with moral quandaries just to kind of you know get a little bit of a flesh and blood into our into our story here so the first job i ever had was a was a little job called Vector Marketing, which I'm sure a few of you guys recognize as, as good old Cutco. So Cutco had this uh, this remarkable business model where they essentially take vulnerable 17-year-olds who don't who don't know any better, and they give them a bag full of knives and they say, "Go sell this to all of your parents' friends." And uh, and so what the what works or how it works is. Uh, you, yeah, you, you basically learn how to do demonstrations, and if you guys ever did Cutco, I cut so much rope with these doggone knives, like I, and they also had you cut pennies, which you're, I think, legally not supposed to do, but, you know, take it up with OSHA, I guess, uh, and so they would give you a flat payment for each of your demos. I think it was like $16. That sounds ridiculous at the time, um, but You'd make like 16 bucks for any demo, but the real money came from commission. And so you're trying to get people to buy as much stuff as possible. And if you follow the script to a T, you show them everything, and then you're like, I think you need this set that's like $1,200. And then they're like, no, no, that's a little bit not what I'm looking for. I was actually looking at just getting one night. Well, interesting. I think you need this set that's 1150 that... You know, it's also very good. And you know the thing was, I did a lot of these demonstrations, mostly for family friends, and they were all just like, "Ah, oh, yeah, I'll let the kid do a stupid demo and get him get him some money. But it got way more uncomfortable for me when I had to start doing it for strangers. And my managers at Cutco were so strict about like, do it, do these cold calls. Call these people, get these demonstrations, like they were they were really, really cracking the whip. And honestly, I got more and more uncomfortable because when I was just doing them for friends, I could just be like, I don't really expect you to buy anything, it's fine. But when I was doing it for strangers who already didn't know who I was, I felt a little bit more compelled to actually wear like the salesman hat. And I realized like the the whole structure of this system is actually meant to be kind of manipulative. And I don't know. Like this is where the heart of being a salesman is so complicated for me, because it seems like if you're ever a salesman, you're always learning some subtle art of manipulation. But I'm like, I I don't know how that fits for me as a Christian. I don't know if I can subtly manipulate people as a as a way of to make a to to make a living. And so uh, and so I got a job that allowed me to leave Cutco behind, and I. I I jumped off that ship as soon as I could. I left the Cutco knives in my trunk, forgot about them, and they're currently in the mission kitchen because I believe in redemption for all things. (laughs) So here's my first story. My second story was that for about five years before I got into ministry here, I worked as a social worker in behavioral health. Many of you guys know about this. Uh, I worked specifically with youth and with young adults. Now, if you've ever worked in behavioral health or if you're familiar with behavioral health, you know that uh, there's a lot of really wonderful things that behavioral health has to offer. They're very pro-mental health, obviously. They're very pro-self-care. I think they take medical integrity really well, and they just seem to, like, really encourage a heart of compassion, a heart of empathy for the people that you work with. However, though... People in mental health tend to take a really strong, progressive stance on issues like sexuality and identity and stuff like that. And these were things that I felt were kind of opposing my my Christian conscience a bit. To the point to where I literally had a coworker who was a Christian, professing Christian, who said, um, if there's any, like, she's like, I'm not going to work with any LGBTQ clients. Like, I'm not going to do it. Like, it, it, it betrays my conscience, it's not okay, I don't like it, etc. And so I kinda had this question in my mind where I was like, well shoot, like, I'm a Christian too. Like, should I, should I be like asking not to have this type of client on my caseload? And so I asked myself this question, is me helping this young person receive mental health services working as a glimpse of the restoration that Jesus is bringing with his kingdom? I asked myself, is what I'm doing affirming human dignity and showing love and reverence for those made in God's image? And so I did. I did. And I continued to work with these clients and I was able to show them a degree of love and care and compassion that I don't regret to this day, honestly, even despite our differences in opinion on that. And so Honestly, like, I, I, I feel very deeply moved by this, by this idea for all of us, not just for the people in this room, but honestly for, for Christians throughout our, throughout our culture. Because my concern is that we just don't think about this. My concern is that as long as money is right and as long as the opportunity for success and glory are there, then we don't give anything else a second thought. But here's the thing. I, I don't want to move you with my concern. I don't want to compel you out of fear. I don't. I want you to see, I want you to see the beautiful, powerful work of Jesus in this hurting world. And I want you to see the promise that Jesus has made to heal and restore everything when he comes back. And upon observing the glory of God, I want you to look at it and be drawn to it because you're a child of God and you want to join Jesus in the good work that he's doing. Whether it's with your friendships, whether it's with your relationships, or whether it's with your nine to five. I want you to be compelled to see that and to join it. Now as we close... If you've tuned into our series on things Christians do for a while now, you've probably picked up on a pattern. Often the things that we're called to do are reflections of the things that God does for us. And that's true with work as well. I mean, think about it. We can see, even if this sounds kind of hokey, we can see God like a mechanic, as someone who gets his hands dirty to take care of something that's been broken and put it back in working order. We can see God as a counselor, someone who sits with us during dark times and speaks to us words of hope and promise. We can see God like a manager who maintains the order of operations in the universe and probably making sure the angels show up to their shifts on time. I don't know. God is an architect, God is a handyman, God is a doctor, he's an artist, he's a musician, he's a construction worker, a teacher, a researcher, a writer, God is a parent. God works, and he works to make himself known and to love and care for his children. Now, I wanna give us a tiny glimpse of what we're gonna talk about next week, because next week we're talking about rest. And I, if, honestly, if, if there were two topics that we have in this series that I felt were most pressing to this community, the second would have been work and the first one would have been rest. So I wanna to speak to that very, very briefly. A question that I get a lot is, how do I rest if I feel like I'm only valuable when I'm working or when I'm trying to be productive? Now, I can't crack this whole thing open right now, but let me, let me give you a little, a little taste of what we'll get into next week. You know, I believe that when we're orienting ourselves and our work, not into just a posture of getting something done, not into just a posture of being productive, but when we take our work and we try to orient it into something good and worshipful to God, then it should give us this deeper sense of calm when we're done. You know, God says, I think it's in Ephesians, that we should work as for him and not for human masters, which I think that for some makes us think, oh my gosh, that means God's like my supervisor. He's He's gonna get mad at me every time I do something wrong. And I don't think that's the case. I think that to work for God rather than human masters implies that when we work, We should work for a God who is, because of Jesus, eternally satisfied with us. We should work for God who loves us perfectly and who receives our redemptive work with joy. Because when we're doing good work, God is delighted in that. And he's delighted in us. And that's whether we're sewing blankets or building skyscrapers. And that should give us rest. The beauty of work is that however mundane, however repetitive, however discouraging, however taxing it may be, we can see the glory of God that animates it, that strikes it with lightning and transforms it into worship. Because work that helps others is good work. And good work combined with a posture of worship becomes meaningful work. And meaningful work will prime our hearts for something that all of us deeply long for, rest, which we'll talk about next week. But for now, please pray with me. Father in heaven, God, I, I feel just uh, what moved Moses when he wrote Psalm 90, just, uh, just affirm and sanctify the work of our hands, God. Whatever we're doing, would you make it something good? Would you make it something restorative? Would you speak to us in the places that we are? There's no shame to be felt. There's no self-loathing to be felt, God. We're all just just one step at a time, inch by inch, just trying to move closer towards you while also recognizing that you're here with us, that your presence hasn't wavered for a moment and it won't because you promised that it wouldn't. So God, as we work, help us to work in a way that feels redeemed, that feels sanctified, that feels like what work was supposed to be, satisfactory and good. And God, may we not be drawn to you or drawn to different work just because we're afraid of doing something wrong, but would we we rather be moved because we wanna be closer to what you're doing because we see it as good, because we see you as good. So God, please just give great comfort to everyone here and speak to us in a way that we need to be spoken to. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So at this point in service, we're going to transition to a new stage. The first is going to be our three ways of worship. Now there's three manners in which we worship as a response to the word of God being spoken just now. Uh, the first is through musical worship, which Kendra and Michaela are going to lead us in in a couple moments. The second is giving. And we teach giving not as an obligatory thing. No one is uh, checking bank accounts here. That's not our our style. But we do teach and we even urge giving as something that is not, excuse me, as something that is not meant to be done out of obligation, but out of appreciation. We recognize that every good and beautiful thing that we get in life is a gift from God. And as a sign of faithfulness and as a sign of appreciation, we believe that we should respond to what God. Is given to us not by hoarding it for ourselves but by returning some of it back to Him. So we encourage all of us to be generous and joyful and gracious givers. And the opportunity to give is in the back. We have a tablet, right? Zaya. And, uh, and lastly, we're going to worship through the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is something that we do every week, and it's something that pretty much every Sunday, you can be guaranteed, is going to be done across the world, across time, throughout church history. There's always been a gathering of God's people around these elements of bread and wine slash grape juice. And it's a throwback to when Jesus was sitting with his disciples and he was speaking about how he was about to be crucified and that this was the last time he would eat bread and drink wine until he sat face to face with his followers in the new life when all things had been made good. And so we eat this bread and we drink this wine, not just as a remembrance of Jesus's love and sacrifice and faithfulness to us, but we also receive it as a blessing and as the presence of Jesus affirms in it as well. So we invite you to all of those forms of worship, and we invite you to the table, even if you have just that smallest amount of faith in the goodness of Jesus and that he's covered your sins. Um, yeah, so now we're going to move into a time to prepare ourselves for that worship of silence, we're gonna take about two minutes where you're gonna have time to just speak to God about whatever you feel. He's kind of pressing on your heart right now. This is a time to confess. This is a time to share with God whatever you feel needs to be communicated to him. And uh, you'll have two minutes to do that by yourself. So we will, let me, uh, I'll start us off, and then we'll have two minutes to, to pray, and then we'll do other stuff. All right, let me pray. Father God, we know... Week to week, we know that we are not worthy of the great God and kind and merciful God that you are. We know that we've, uh, we've done things with our actions, with our thoughts that have been far from ideal and far from holy, which you call us to be. We know that there's things that we should have done that we didn't do, and we know there's things that we shouldn't have done that we did do. And we pray to you now, asking for forgiveness. And God, I ask that as we pray to you, that we would not be attacked by the enemy and given thoughts of, sh- of uh, shame nor guilt, but that we would remember that those who, are, who confess their sins, you are faithful to forgive, and that you are restoring us and healing us, and that you are with us, and that your love is over us, and that you don't hold these sins against us, but you forget them and you cast them as far as the east is from the west. So with that in mind... Would you help us to confess of our sins and to do so honestly and thoroughly? And I pray this in Jesus' name.